I want to talk to you today about Jesus, a friend to sinners. Jesus, a friend to sinners. How many of you would agree that he was and that he still is? Jesus was a friend to everybody, right? He was a friend to everyone, not just the goody two-shoes. You know, in fact, the goody two-shoes people, the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day were the people that Jesus had the most problems with and the hardest time with. I want us to read some scripture to get us going this morning. We're going to be reading from the book of Luke. It'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verses 33 and 34. Reading from the New Living Translation. It says, it says, for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. And you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Jesus had the reputation of hanging out with sinners. He had the reputation of being a friend to sinners. He consistently, if you'll read the scripture, find that Jesus consistently hung out at the fishing docks. How many know that the fishermen were not standing around in a circle holding hands and singing kumbaya? No, they were very rough around the edges. Read about Jesus, you'll find that he purposely went through Samaria. This was a place where where most Jews avoided, but Jesus went there. He went there on purpose. He went there on assignment. He went there to have an encounter with a sinner. He consistently was among the demon-possessed. In fact, the worst of the worst were drawn to him, and he never turned them away. My subject for today is Jesus, a friend to sinners. How many would agree this morning that if Jesus is our example, shouldn't we be a friend to sinners as well? Let me tell you, the last couple of weeks, last two or three weeks, this church has rocked in the early service. You're lagging a little this morning. Come on, you've got a reputation to live up to. Somebody shout amen this morning. Hey, if Jesus was a friend to sinners, shouldn't we be a friend to sinners? But I ask you this morning, are we? Are we? I want to share three things with you today that relate to our subject. The first thing that I want to talk about is this, and that is I want to talk about the tendencies of the saints. The tendencies of the saints. Now, now let me clarify this this morning. I, I know that none of the saints at the grace place has any of these tendencies, but saints in other places do, all right? Well, the first tendency is to be self-righteous. I mean, no, that's a tendency of the saints, to be self-righteous. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, Jesus said, judge not, so you will not be judged. He says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with a measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We might remember this the next time we're wanting to judge someone. 
Jesus said, and, who, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your eye? Hypocrite. That's what your sweet Jesus said. <laughs> Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly in order to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I'm afraid that too many of us are like the skunk that criticized the tomcat for having bad breath. Well, pay more money, you'll get better jokes, all right? Jesus said it this way. He said, you point out the tiniest of speck in your brother's eye, but you are totally unaware of the boulder that's coming out of your own eye. Jesus said, only after you have corrected all of the faults in your own life, only then are you worthy to point out the faults of someone else. In Luke chapter 15, the story is told of the prodigal son. And, and everybody is familiar, if you're in church, you're familiar with this incredible story Jesus told about the prodigal son. But often overlooked in the story is the story of the elder brother. There's actually three stories in the one story. There's the story of the prodigal son, there's the story of the father, and there's the story of the elder brother. And so often we just talk about the, the, the prodigal son, uh, but we overlook the story about the elder brother. Now, did the younger brother, the prodigal, did he have any flaws? Absolutely, but so did big brother. So did Big Brother. See, Big Brother was self-righteous. He was self-righteous. He, he pointed out all of the flaws of his baby brother, but he was totally unaware of the many, many, many flaws that was in his own life. Just listen to what he had to say to his father. Look with me in, in uh, Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 25 uh, through 30. Since now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and, and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother, your younger brother, the prodigal, he's come home. And because he has re received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he, elder brother, he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, won't even call him his brother, says, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Really? Really? Big brother, you're a son, but you feel like a slave all these years. I've, I've served you. I've been your slave, Father. What? What, big brother? You, 
You never, not even one time, never, ever disobeyed your father? Really? Liar, liar, pants on fire. You think you're perfect? You think you're perfect, big boy? Not even close. We're talking about, we're talking about the tendencies of the saints. The first is to be self-righteous. To see ourselves as better than everybody else. To overlook our own faults while pointing out even the tiniest faults in somebody else. Another tendency of the saints is to be segregated. Yeah, to be segregated. See, humans have a tendency to hang out with people who look and act most like them. So, therefore, the blacks hang out with the blacks, and the whites hang out with the whites, and the saints hang out with the saints, and the sinners hang out with the sinners, and Catholics hang out with Catholics, and Baptists hang out with Baptists, and Pentecostals hang out with Pentecostals. Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 40, G, or John, John said to Jesus, he said, he, he said, Jesus, he said, Lord, he said, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Yeah, we saw these guys casting out demons in your name, Lord, but we told them to stop because they're not a member of the Assemblies of God. They're not in our group, so we told them to stop. Jesus said, don't stop them. Don't stop them, Jesus said. Jesus said, anyone who isn't against us is for us. The tendency of the saints is to be segregated. And that's what's happening in our world today, and that's what's happening in the church today. The devil is busy today dividing the church. Dividing the church. You know, Republicans and Democrats in the church. Maskers and non-maskers in the church. Vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and race against race. Oh, hear me this morning, people. Hear me. This has got to stop. This must stop. The Bible says that a house that is divided against itself will not be able to stand. I'm telling you this morning, it's time to desegregate. I'm telling you this morning, it's time to unify. I'm telling you this morning, it's time to come together. I'm telling you today that it's time to drop our petty differences, agree to disagree on some issues that we're never going to come to terms with that are not eternal in nature. We've got a devil to fight. We've got sin to war against. We don't need a civil war. We don't need to be fighting each other. And let me, hear, uh, let me tell you this morning, it's definitely time to get out of our spiritual bubble and go hang out with some sinners. Yeah. Let me ask you this morning, how in the world are we going to reach a lost world if we are never with anyone who's lost? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Instead, we have created our own little world. And only those who look and act like us are allowed into the world that we've made for ourselves. It's time to open up our world. Jesus died with his arms wide open. Don't you think we ought to live that way? All right, we've talked about the tendencies of the saints. Now let's talk a little bit about the tenderness of the Savior. How did Jesus act toward sinners? Well, first of all, he sought them out. 
He sought them out. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, Jesus didn't just tolerate sinners. He sought them out. People like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a crook. Why did Zacchaeus climb the sycamore tree, the Savior for to see? That we used to sing in children's church. Was it because he was little of stature and couldn't see over the crowd? Well, that is one of the reasons why. But another reason was he didn't want to be in the crowd because he would fear for his life. Because the people hated him because he cheated them of their taxes. But what did Jesus do? Jesus left the crowd, walked over to the tree where Zacchaeus was, and said, come down here, boy, I'm going to your house today. He didn't just tolerate sinners, he sought them out. People like the Samaritan woman at the well. Why was she at the well that day at that particular time? Because she knew nobody else would be there right then, and she wasn't very popular. Well, she was popular at night, perhaps, but she was not popular in the day. And how about the demoniac of Gadara? Let me ask us this morning, how long has it been since we sought out a sinner? Since we developed a relationship with somebody that wasn't exactly like us. How did Jesus act towards sinners? Well, first of all, he sought them out. But not only did he seek them out, but number two, he set them free. He set them free. In Luke chapter 8, the story is told about the man who was possessed with 6,000 demons. 6,000. Legion means 6,000. This man had a legion of demons. He had 6,000 demons in him. And he lived among the tombs. Why did he live among the tombs? Because he was so far gone, nobody was able to live with him. And no one would go near him, but would totally stay away from him. His family and his friends had written him off. They had washed their hands of him. They had had enough. They couldn't stand anymore. And so they took him out among the tombs and turned him loose and washed their hands of him. But not Jesus. Jesus loved him. But not only did Jesus love him, but Jesus loosed him. See, before encountering Jesus, he was bound, he was captured, he was totally possessed by the devil. But after, after an encounter with Jesus, he was loosed, he was liberated, and his life restored. We're talking about the, the tenderness of the Savior right now. How did Jesus act towards sinners? Well, he, he sought them out. He, he, he set them free. And number three, he, he showed them mercy. He showed them mercy. In John chapter 8, some religious leaders bring a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and brought her before Jesus. And these religious rulers said to Jesus, they said, the law of Moses says that uh, uh, the, the uh, sin of adultery, uh, uh, the punishment is that, that, that stoning. That Moses in his law says this woman is to be stoned. But Jesus, what do you say? Jesus says, Fine. The law says stoning, she's guilty, she's an adulteress, fine, let's do it. But it must be done this way, Jesus said. Jesus said the one who is without sin among us must cast the first stone. Okay, the law says she's to be stoned, let's obey the law, but let's do it this way. Whoever is here today that has no sin in their life, 
Let them throw the first rock. Only after the sinless one throws the first rock, only then can the others follow. And one by one by one by one, they dropped their rock and they walked away. You see, the only sinless one there that day was Jesus. (laughs) And he never even picked up a rock. Jesus showed her mercy that day. He, he, He said to her, he said, woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to accuse you? No, no. She looks around and she says, no, my Lord, no. Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. How many of you this morning are thankful for the tenderness of the Savior? Are you thankful for his mercy this morning? Are you thankful for his grace? Oh, his grace is all. Oh, him giving us what we don't deserve. We talk about grace all the time. But equal to that is also his mercy. His mercy, grace is where where God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is where God does not give us what we do deserve. And that is his wrath and chastisement and punishment and damnation eternally for our sin. Thank God. Thank God for his mercy and his grace today. Our subject today is Jesus, a friend to sinners. All right, we've talked about the tendencies of the saints. We've talked about the tenderness of the Savior. Let's finish today by talking about the tragedy of lost sinners. The tragedy of lost sinners. See, sinners who are lost and remain lost represent a great tragedy. And I want to give you three reasons why. Number one is because they are sentenced to eternal torment. Sinners who do not repent are sentenced to eternal torment. Don't hear a lot about this these days, but it's the word. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey him will be punished with a flaming fire and eternal destruction. I don't know about you, but I can't even wrap my head around eternal punishment. I can wrap my head around punishment. I can even wrap my head around hell as a punishment. You go there, you burn up, and it's over. I can wrap my head. I just cannot wrap my head around eternal damnation, fire, and burning forever and ever and ever. But it doesn't matter whether I wrap my head around it or not. It's what the scripture says. It literally breaks my heart to think about it. What a tragedy. The second part of this tragedy is that Not only will they be sentenced to eternal torment, but they will be separated from God and all that is good. The last part of verse 9 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Take this for what it's worth. 
just a personal opinion, but perhaps, I don't know, I'm using the word perhaps, but perhaps the greatest horror of hell will not be the fire and the flames, but the evil and the wickedness and the vileness of Satan himself. Think about it. Think about a place like hell. Think about it. Zero influence of God and all that is good. 100% influence of Satan and sin. What will the atmosphere of hell be like without the influence of God's presence? Zero percent of God's presence there. What will the atmosphere be like without the influence of even one godly person? What will the atmosphere be like? Have you ever been around or been anywhere or been around someone where evil was the dominating factor. You couldn't wait to get out of that atmosphere, right? It felt so so heavy. I've never been there myself personally, but I've heard this at Mardi Gras. The atmosphere so so heavy, so evil, so dark, so oppressive. I can't even fathom the horrendous atmosphere of a a place 100% void of God and 100% full of the devil and his demons and their demonic influence. And for all of eternity, oh, oh, what a tragedy. But the greatest tragedy, the greatest tragedy of all is the fact that they are there, they are there, despite the fact that a loving Savior was provided for them. John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and his only son so that whoever would believe upon him would not have to perish but could enjoy eternal life. I've used this illustration before, but it bears repeating and it fits here so I, I have a little ornery streak in me. You may not know that, but I have a little ornery streak in me. And it comes out every once in a while. And when my kids were little, I would, I would teach them things. Not all things that I should be teaching them. I would teach them things, and then, and then when they learned what I taught them, when we did little bitty tykes, I would bring, when we'd have somebody over, or we had a crowd, I'd bring them out and have them, have them perform. <laughs> One of the things I would teach them was this. I, I, when they were just little bitty, little bitty, I'd bring them out and I'd say, I'd say, how much do you love grandma? And they'd go, just little bitty kid, little bitty. How much do you love grandpa? And, 
How much do you love daddy? How much do you love mama? Oh, I had a lot of fun with that. But how many know paybacks are tough? When we got our first grandchild, we were keeping Bradley one day and I came in from the office and when I came in the door, my wife hollered out, Papa, Papa, come in the living room. My wife got Briley, our little granddaughter, little bitty, little bitty. Briley, how much do you love your mama? How much do you love your daddy? Briley, how much do you love Grammy? <laughs> Briley, how much do you love your papa? <laughs> Over 2,000 years ago. The world asked Jesus, Jesus, how much do you love us? And Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross and he said, I love you this much. I love you this much. The tragedy of lost sinners is a loving Savior. A loving Savior was provided for them. They don't have to go to hell. But another tragedy is not everyone knows this. Thank you, TGP, for being a missions-minded church. Because the tragedy is less tragic because we give. And because we give, others are able to go. And because they are able to go, the gospel is preached and multitudes are saved that would not have been saved. I'm telling you, literally millions of people will be in heaven and not in hell. Because we sent. And because they went and the message was presented and they found Christ. The takeaway for the message today is if Jesus was a friend of sinners, shouldn't we be? Shouldn't we be? Let me ask you this morning are you a friend of sinners? Are you a friend of sinners? Let me ask this question this morning. Is our church sinner friendly? Oh, I'm not talking about a movement of sinner friendly churches where we don't say this and we don't say that and we don't do this and we don't do that. I'm not throwing stones at that, but for some reason I just think that when a sinner comes into a church, they expect, it. they expect a church. They don't expect a supermarket or a restaurant or a movie theater. They expect a church. Well, they don't know our church lingo. Well, they're not dummies. We've, we, oh, don't get me on this rabbit trail this morning. When I'm talking about sinner-friendly... I'm talking about, do we look down our long, pious noses when they come in here and, you know, they don't quite look the part like we look.
They don't look like us or act like us or talk like us. I'm not talking about putting a stamp of approval on their lifestyle. I'm talking about opening our arms. I'm talking about saying, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a sinner, (laughs) we know you're going to act like a sinner. Is our church sinner friendly? One of the saddest things I ever heard in my life, a pastor years ago was talking about the fact that he prayed one day because he was so, so distraught that nobody was getting saved in his church. And he realized the reason why no one was getting saved in his church because he never had any sinners in his church. He just had a good old boy Christian club. And he asked the Lord one day in prayer, why? Are you not sending any sinners into my church? And he said he heard the Lord say to him, because I love the sinner too much to send them to your church. Wow. Wow. I've experienced a few churches like that. God forbid it would ever be that way at the Grace Place. Jesus, I thank you that you are a friend to sinners. Because if you were not a friend to sinners, you could not be my friend. I could not be your friend. Because you said all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. God, I pray today that we will treat the sinner the way you do and the way you did.